I like to label my message this morning, when the church looks like the culture. I want to talk from the thought of when the church looks like the culture. Throughout the book of 1 Samuel, there's been many themes that we've been able to learn about. Um, Themes like barrenness, we saw this in chapter 1 and chapter 2 with Hannah. Themes like, um, sadly, even spiritual abuse, bad leadership. Uh, Themes like repentance, which we talked about last week. And among a bunch of other themes, um, one of the things that is unpacked in here is the idea of a judge. Um, The function of a judge. We know that Samuel is a judge, and in this context, judges were leaders that had authority. They had mighty, mighty authority. This included authority like military prowess, um, the idea of leading people into uh, military um, things. And you think about Deborah in the book of Judges, very similar to that. So these judges were leaders in this sense from a military perspective. They also had judicial instruction as well. And not to only mention judicial instruction, but they also had this priestly function. And we know that Samuel also was not only a judge, not only a prophet, not only uh, these, pe- these people that had uh, uh, this type of authority, but he also was a priest. And priests were meant to lead people to God. And this is some of the things that Samuel is, is doing. So when we see the last couple of verses in chapter 7, we see that he is a judge all throughout uh, Israel. We see that he's going to different places, Mizpah and Bethel and Gilgal, all these different places, and he's just judging the people. This is part of his role. This is part of his, his function. As we shift over to chapter 8, what I want to say is um, this chapter is interesting because when we look at it from what happened in chapter 7 and how the people of Israel kind of rededicated themselves to the Lord, how they returned back to God in some ways, and how God delivered them from the Philistines, in chapter 8, they kind of go backwards. (laughs) They kind of go back to, uh, have you ever been on a particular path, right? And then all of a sudden, Something happens and gets you off that path. In some ways, this is what's happening in in chapter 8. The church was supposed to be different from the surrounding nations. Uh, They were supposed to be salt and light. They were supposed to be a light to the nations, but in all actuality, they forgot their identity in some ways. They forgot who they were. They forgot what God created them to be. And instead of them being a light to the nations, they desired leaders like the nations. And I would say that one aspect of when when the church looks like the culture is when we desire leaders like the nations. In verse 5, it says, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Because Samuel was getting old, and it's kind of hard to know exactly what age. Some scholars say maybe 
you know, in the 50s, some people say in the 60s, uh, for those that are that age and you hear me saying you're old, it's not me, okay, I just want to say that. Um, thank you, Michelle, I needed that. Um, but, you know, somewhere around the 50s or 60s, some scholars say that Samuel was. But interesting, Samuel was actually being obedient. He's being obedient because Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 18, says for judges to actually appoint other judges when they get a, a certain age, when it's time for a transition. And Samuel appoints his sons to be these judges. One thing about Samuel's sons, they were wicked. They were wicked and they were unjust. It's very interesting because when we look at Eli's sons, they also had some wickedness to them. They also had some, some, some injustice to them. So I don't know what's going on with being in the household of priests, but there's something that's going on, something in the water, because you would think Samuel's sons would actually turn out okay because they have a model. They have somebody they can follow. They have somebody like Samuel who is a righteous person, and as they say, like, Father like son, in this case, not so much. Samuel's sons are wicked and unjust. What are they doing? Well, the text tells us that they took bribes and perverted justice. They took bribes and perverted justice. Now, for us, we hear taking bribes, and we may say, like, oh, that doesn't really mean much to me today. You may have never heard of someone taking a bribe that is in a high authority or high position. But I want to submit to you that there are people in history in America that have taken bribes and perverted justice as well. I'll give you a historical example. Some of you probably never have seen this person before. You probably don't even know who he is. Um, this is Judge Thomas J. Maloney, and he was a judge in Cook County from 1977 to 1991. Interestingly, he is listed as one of the worst judges in American history. You know how bad you gotta be to make the list of worst judges in American history? He was part of this investigation called Operation Greylord. This is where the FBI, the IRS, and the state of Illinois police banded together to try to track and try to get corrupted judges. One of the things he's known for, sadly, is he would take, uh, he would rig murder cases for money. Uh, in other words, he would let murderers walk free in exchange for cash. It's estimated that he got over 100000 and there's about five bribes on the books that we know of, and he was eventually convicted of extortion and perverting justice. I bring this up just as a historical example to show that there are people, there are judges, there are leaders, there are people in high places in the past that have done wicked things, have done corrupt things. So this is not so far removed from our current context today. Now, I want to give the people of Israel credit because they realized that Samuel's sons were not the right people in leadership. They recognized that these two people, 
they cannot be in leadership. They say here in the text, they don't walk in your ways, Samuel. So let's give them credit and give credit where credit is due. But when we give them credit, we realize that we got to kind of take the credit away because they want to be like the nations. They want to judge. They want a king to judge like the other nations. So the church looks like the culture when we desire leaders like the nations, but also when we reject God and wise counsel. When we reject God and wise counsel. Now Samuel is here, and now he's displeased with the people's request. He's discouraged with the people's request. And one thing about Samuel is he's a righteous person. He goes to God in prayer. I know if I was Samuel, just being honest, the people that I'm trying to lead, the people I'm trying to help, the people I'm trying to guide, after what happened in chapter 7 over into chapter 8, now I would be a little ticked off. I'd be a little upset. My first response wouldn't have been to go to God in prayer. My first response probably would have been to talk bad about them. <laughs> to, your fr- to my friends, to my family. Look at these people. Look how idiotic and stupid they are being. But Samuel prays to God. And God answers him and tells him, obey their voice. What? Obey their voice. And this is fascinating because when you think about it, as, leader, as a leader, you want what's best for the people. And you would think God would say, you know what, Samuel? He, he, you, think he would, you would think he would tell him something else. But he says, no, obey their voice. And he says, because they did not reject you, in fact, they're rejecting me. The people of Israel are not only rejecting, they're not necessarily rejecting Samuel, they are rejecting, they're rejecting God. I just want to say, like, can you imagine um, the feeling that God would have when the people that he created in his image and likeness choose willingly to reject him? Can you imagine the feeling of the God that led them out of bondage and slavery, defeated their enemies, and then the people of God is like, yeah, we don't want you. We want somebody else. Rejection is something that we all face. We have faced, we are facing, and you will face. This, is a, this rejection is deeper, though. This rejection is not the kind of rejection that, you know, if you're trying to slide into somebody's DMs. I know some of you are out there that do that. And you shoot your shot. And you see that they read the message. But they don't respond back. It's not that type of rejection. Um, It's much deeper than that. 
It's not the type of rejection where you're trying to go for a, 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 a mortgage, you're trying to get a loan, you go to the bank, and they say, you know what, we have to reject you, you have to be denied because of whatever reason. It's not that type of rejection. It's much deeper than that. It's deeper than the idea of putting out a bunch of job applications because you need work. And after application, after application, interview, after interview, you don't get anything back. Those are all real rejections that we all have faced, and there's many, many more. But what I'm saying is to reject the God of the universe, this rejection is much, much deeper. God desires to be in relationship with his people and be their king, but the people of Israel are like, no. They rejected the God of the universe. One of the things I like about the Bible, and specifically the Gospel of John, is interesting because we see that Jesus is the eternal word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And you scroll down to verse 14, it says, the word became flesh, the enfleshment of God. But before you get to verse 14, you got to get to verse 11. And verse 11 says, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Rejection. This is something that I think the church does. We reject God. And in some ways, I think the culture rejects God, and we tend to be like them in some ways. If I can try to apply this a little bit, you know, for us is I just want to simply say, don't reject God. As simple as that is, don't reject God. Remember last week, there are different idols, there are different longings, there are different desires that the people of God had before they rededicated their life to the Lord. I also mentioned how there are certain things in the church that we need to be aware of. And I talked about spiritual abuse in the church. I talked about financial mismanagement in the church. And another thing that I talked about was the idea of putting politics over Jesus in the church. Um, what I've seen lately um, is this idea of Christian nationalism. For those that may not know what Christian nationalism is, it's the belief that the American nation is defined by Christianity and there is a worldly political agenda that says the government should keep it that way. That's a very simplistic definition of what Christian nationalism is. But this is one example of how different people will put politics over Jesus. And if you're here and you're like, oh, I don't believe in Christian nationalism, well, you can just remember the January 6th riot that took place in 2021. That's a live visual example right there of what Christian nationalism is. The white mob that ran into the Capitol building in the name of Jesus they had Bibles. They had crosses. In fact, they looked at it as somewhat of a, a command that they should do this from the Lord. 
I bring this up because this is one way that we've rejected God. And we put certain things, we put ideologies, we put certain things above, above God. We've put that in his place. If you're saying, well, from a Christian nationalistic perspective, um, if you can say yes to any of these things that I'm about to say, I would, you might just want to say, you should probably will be a little concerned that you may be a Christian nationalist. So here we go. Here's a framework, if you will. Ready? You may be a Christian nationalist if you think America is a Christian nation. If you genuinely believe that America is a Christian nation, uh, you might want to consider or be concerned with that. If you think that it's wrong to criticize America in any type of way, you just want to focus on the positive things, the good things of America, the great things of America. And you don't want to criticize it, uh, you might want to be concerned about that. Here's my personal favorite right here. If you think that the American flag should be waved in the sanctuary, and you're upset that it doesn't, that might be a barometer to say, ah, maybe I might lean in a Christian nationalistic perspective. And lastly, if you think spiritual revival will be ushered in by a new president or a government leader that's going to judge and enforce your type of laws, You might want to be concerned about your stance on Christian nationalism. I'm applying it to our context here, but I want you to know that some people in the culture place their faith and trust in politics and governmental candidates and political ideologies and even some conspiracy theories. They put that above God. As the people of God, our faith should be in the one and only true God of the universe, who is our king and that person's name is Jesus. Our primary citizenship is in the kingdom of God, is in the kingdom of heaven. I'm not saying you got to throw politics out the window. I'm not saying that you don't have to vote. What I am saying is... Don't wrap your main hope, your primary confidence. Advent this month, our theme is hope. Don't put your hope primarily in politics. Should you be engaged? Should you uh, be active? Absolutely, sure. But if your main hope is in your political candidate over Christ, we have a problem. I would go as far as to say that you're following another gospel. Galatians 1, 
the Apostle Paul clearly says that I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There are people out there that are putting their politics over Jesus and they're distorting the glorious, wondrous gospel of Christ. And if we're going to reject anything, I think we should reject that. But let's not reject God in the process. Amen? Another thing about rejecting God is that other part is rejecting wise counsel. The Bible talks about the idea that there are, there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. In our text in verses 10 through 18, Samuel here is giving counsel to God's people by describing the type of leader that they will get. So remember, God already told Samuel, obey the people's voice. The people are saying they want a king like the other nations that's going to judge. And Samuel's like, okay, but let me just give you the qualities. Let me give you the elements. Let me give you the characteristics of what this leader is going to be like. Here's a list of of, of what this leader will do. This is um, in verses from verses 10 to 18. Well, he says very plainly in verse 11 that he will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be horsemen and to run before his chariots. He says that he will appoint himself for himself commanders. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and and, and cooks. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards. He will take the tenth of your grain. He will take your male servants and female servants. He will take the tenth of your flocks. He will take, 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 take. It's not a leader that's going to give. This is not a leader that's going to be sacrificial. This is not a leader that's going to do what's right in the eyes of God. All he's doing is taking. And if you notice, he's taking for his own benefit. He's taking for his own self-interest. When we contrast this with good leadership or or, or gospel-like leadership with Jesus, Jesus is one that comes down and he doesn't necessarily take. He's one that actually gives. And this is the type of person that the people of Israel are trying to say, we don't want this, we want that. And we look at that and say, man, that's kind of of foolish. That's kind of stupid. That's kind of dumb. Like, why would you want to do that? And the part that really is haunting is that last part where he says, You're going to cry out to God, but the Lord will not answer. That's got to be one of the most frightening aspects to this whole entire story. The fact that there's going to be a time that you're going to cry out for God, but because of your disobedience, because God is giving you what you want, 
God says, you're going to cry out and I'm not going to answer. Very devastating, huh? The church looks like the culture when we desire leaders like the nations, when we reject God and reject wise counsel, and then lastly, when we forget what God has done for us. When we forget what God has done for us. In verses 19 through 20, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us so that we may also be like the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us in the last part to fight our battles. The response of the people of God is problematic it's disturbing, and it's troubling. You ever gave wise counsel to anybody before? Where the counsel where you know, let's just say, um, this person, these people, they're in a toxic relationship. A very bad relationship. And you know that they shouldn't be in this relationship. And you're giving them wise counsel. You're giving them... and. It, if we want to be honest with ourselves, you feel like you're giving them the best counsel, right? And you lay out what's going to happen if he or she continues to keep doing this, that, and the fourth. I mean, you're not a prophet, but you almost can be like a prophet in the sense you know what's going to happen. You lay out the type of characteristic this person is. And after all of that energy, after all that time, after all that praying, the person looks at you and say, yeah, but I want this. They completely reject, they completely not listen. And as a pastor, that has happened a couple of different times with different people, right? They completely reject God, God's counsel through Samuel. And the audacity when it says they want to judge, they want a king that's going to fight their battles. Did they miss what happened in chapter 7? How God fought their battles against the Philistines? I know this is a different generation. Did they not pick up on what was orally told to them? Did they not listen? Do they not know the stories of how God saved his people out of Egypt? You want a king like the nations that's going to fight your battles for you? The audacity, the nerve. Uh, for my ESPN sports fans, as Stephen A. Smith says, the unmitigated gall of these people. This is crazy. When you read the story, it's like, what the heck is going on? But the sad thing about it is, is we do the same thing. In some ways, we're just like <laughs> these people in our lives from time to time. So I don't want to be too harsh on them, but I do want to say that we can't forget God and who he is and we can't forget about what he's done for us. If we do, 
Sometimes God will give you what you want. Now, before you go shouting and saying amen, that can be a very frightening thing. I'm reminded what it says in Romans chapter 1 where it says that God gave them up to their wants and to their desires. So getting what you want sometimes can be life or death. And sometimes God does give the people what they want. As we come to a close, as we come to a close, I want us to reject everything and anything and anybody that will not put us in alignment with God's will. Don't reject God, but reject the distractions and the road bumps that take you away from God and his purpose for your life. Embrace him through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Believe in his death, believe in his burial, believe in his resurrection, believe in the new life that he gives to those that believe in him, that have hope in him. Let's not necessarily look like the culture per se. Let's look to engage the culture with truth, with love and compassion, and with the gospel of the kingdom. The people of God said, amen. Let me pray. Father God, I pray that we can be able to be the salt and light people that you call us to be. Not a people that seeks to look like the culture, but a people that is distinct, lights in a dark world. Help us be able to reflect this more and more. Lord, I ask that we can be able to reject anything that comes in a way of that, to come in a way of what we are called to be. And I also pray for people to remember their identity and not forget their identity and who they are. Image bearers created in image and likeness of God. Help us be able to reflect this in front of a watching world. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen.